1: New season out on Spotify soon. In the early hours of June 13, 1918, 39 year old Grand Duke Mikhail Alexandrovich found himself shackled in a carriage, held captive by the Bolsheviks. Next to him was his British secretary, Nicholas Johnson.
2: It had been over a year since Mikhail's brother, Tsar Nicholas II, abdicated the Russian throne. Mikhail had the chance to replace him, but he knew it wasn't what the people wanted and declined the throne. He thought just saying no would be enough.
1: But it wasn't. He was still a Romanov. When the Bolsheviks seized power, Mikhail was arrested less than six months later. He knew he would never see freedom again, not while they were in control. And when a small faction of the revolutionaries took Mikhail and his secretary out of their perm hotel, he knew the end must be near.
2: At around 2 a.m., their captor ordered them out of the carriage. Mikhail went first. He wondered if they were going to torture him or if they were going to make it quick. All he knew was he wasn't ready to die.
1: Mikhail had only taken a few steps when he heard the shots.
2: He turned and saw his secretary on the ground, dead. Mikhail ran to his friend, arms stretched out, and then more shots rang out.
1: Mikhail went limp and fell. Blood pooled around his head, staining the muddy grass. The 39-year-old Grand Duke was dead, the first Romanov to be executed by the Bolsheviks.
2: But he was far from the last.
1: Welcome to Survival, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Irma Blanco. And I'm Tim Johnson. Every Monday, we'll
2: take you inside incredible true stories of life or death situations. You can find episodes of Survival and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Survival for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Survival in the search bar.
1: At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network.
2: And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help.
1: Today, we begin our discussion of the Vladimirovichy, Russian Grand Dukes Kirill, Boris, and Andrei. These three brothers were forced to flee Russia between 1917 and 1920 as revolution and civil war engulfed the country.
2: This week we dive into the privileged lives of the Grand Dukes Kirill, Boris, and Andrei Vladimirovich and the build-up to the February Revolution, which resulted in the abdication of Tsar Nicholas II.
1: Next week will follow the Vladimirovici's harrowing journey as they attempted to evade the Bolsheviks during the Russian Civil War.
2: One note, prior to the Russian Revolution, Russia went by the Julian calendar. For our story, we will be using the corresponding dates from the more common Gregorian calendar, which is 13 days ahead.
1: By 1848, revolution had taken hold over Europe. The working class and the poor had grown tired of European aristocracy and revolted. France, Italy, the Austrian Empire, Germany, and Hungary were all swept into chaos over the course of a single year. Though these revolutions all failed, the spirit and idea behind them never left. In the ensuing decades, the ideals of socialism and communism were quietly whispered in taverns and homes across the continent. The bourgeoisie would someday face a reckoning.
2: These same revolutionary ideas made their way into the minds of the Russian people. The spirit of 1848 hadn't died. It had simply moved regions. It was only a matter of time before the fire of socialism swept up the whole of Russia. As socialist fervor was being whispered amongst the Russian people in taverns and factories, Tsar Alexander II welcomed another grandson into the royal family. On October 12, 1876, Kirill Vladimirovich was born to Grand Duke Vladimir Alexandrovich and Grand Duchess Marie Pavlovna.
1: Kirill was quickly joined by two brothers and a sister, Boris, on November 24, 1877, Andrei on May 14, 1879, and Elena on January 17, 1882. Following Russian patronymic custom, the children all used Vladimir to form their middle name.
2: Growing up as a Romanov in the 1800s came with the glamour of any royal family. All of the Vladimirovici had the fortune of being well-educated with private tutors and learning to speak English, Russian, German, and French.
1: Following tradition, the boys all joined the military when they were teenagers. Kirill, who loved the sea, naturally joined the Imperial Navy. Boris went to cavalry school, and Andre eventually studied artillery.
2: The brothers each had their idiosyncrasies. The eldest, Kirill, was the admirable one. Boris, the handsome Don Juan middle son, and Andre, the fun-loving youngest. But they were fiercely loyal to each other, and to the Romanov name.
1: On May 26, 1896, Nicholas II was officially coronated as Tsar. Kirill, in particular, marveled at the spiritual and symbolic rituals that took place during the ceremony and found himself even more proud to be a Romanov.
2: However, Nicholas's reign was off to an ominously bad start. During an event for the people of Moscow to celebrate the coronation, a rumor made its way through the crowd of nearly 500,000 that the booths, with free beer, commemorative mugs, and sausage, had begun to run low.
1: As people pushed through the lines, panic took hold. Soon, a human stampede broke out.
2: Human stampedes are more common than one would expect breaking out at sporting events, music festivals, or large religious ceremonies. In small spaces, poor event organizing and claustrophobia can lead to panic and a rush to get away as soon as possible. Though easier said than done, one of the key aspects of surviving a human stampede is to try and remain calm. When running with the flow of the crowd, keep your hands at your chest so that you can protect your lungs and keep breathing. Most deaths during stampedes are caused not by trampling, but by asphyxia. Being able to control your breathing will keep you on your feet.
1: When the dust settled, over 1,300 people lay dead on the ground. The disaster became infamously known as the Hadinska tragedy. Though Nicholas wished to show his respect to the people, his family advised him to attend a ball in his honor instead. As Russians scoured the field of dead bodies for their loved ones, the aristocracy dined on fine meats and wine. Kirill Vladimirovich would simply call the tragedy a disastrous oversight. Once the fallout from the Hedinska tragedy subsided, life carried on for the Vladimirovichi. For Kirill, Much of his focus was on his not-so-secret affair with Princess Victoria Melita, a relationship that caused a scandal in the family. Two issues arose. For starters, Kirill and Victoria were first cousins. Although marriage between cousins wasn't completely out of the norm for European royalty, it was strictly prohibited by the Russian Orthodox Church. The second issue was that Victoria was already married, But Kirill and Victoria were undeterred. However, they did keep their relationship as discreet as possible, even after Victoria divorced her husband in 1901.
2: For Kirill's brothers, the years following the coronation were spent focusing on world tours, various romantic affairs, and spending money. Boris, in particular, spent more time traveling than working on his military studies. In Boris's mind, returning to Russia with a train full of Parisian street art or Japanese statues was more important than practicing cavalry maneuvers.
1: While the Vladimirovici toured the world and struggled with love, their country was headed towards war. And soon, they would be called to do their part for the motherland.
2: For years, relations between Russia and Japan had been rocky especially when it came to the regions of Manchuria and the Korean Peninsula. As negotiations between the two countries broke down, Tsar Nicholas believed an easy war with Japan would be good for public morale. But Japan struck first. On February 8, 1904, the Japanese made a preemptive strike on Port Arthur along the Yellow Sea.
1: When the Russian military mobilized in response, 28-year-old Kirill and 27-year-old Boris readily volunteered for the cause. They were sent to the far east on the flagship Petropavlovsk, while the youngest brother, Andre, stayed in St. Petersburg. Once they made it to hostile waters, Kirill and Boris quickly learned that peacetime military maneuvers in the academy were much different than war itself.
2: In the early hours of April 13th, 1904, Kirill walked the deck of the Petropavlovsk, annoyed that Boris had left the ship to go horseback riding. There was a war going. How could Boris be so selfish?
1: Breathing in the cold morning air, Kirill watched the battleship's extended wake as it entered Port Arthur. All of a sudden,
2: Hero was thrown in the air and landed in the cold yellow sea. He emerged from the water in shock. As he fought to keep his head above water, he looked around and saw men screaming in agony, struggling to stay afloat themselves.
1: He looked back at the Petropavlovsk. To his horror, the battleship sank within minutes. But the time to mourn would have to wait. He needed to get out of the freezing water.
2: Kirill was fortunate. He was an experienced swimmer and was wearing a padded military coat and a woolen sweater. Wool is popular among fishermen and sailors because it's water-resistant. Wool also has the distinct ability to capture heat better than other textiles. Grown on animals like sheep, who need it to protect them from extreme weather, wool fibers are very fine, and when spun together in a coat, they can trap in body heat quite well.
1: Of the 700 men on board, only 80 survived. Thanks to his swimming ability and warm clothing, Kirill was among them. For the first time ever, the Vladimirovichy had faced danger and death, though it would be far from the last time.
2: The sinking of the Petropavlovsk would have a lasting effect on Kirill. Though he would heal from his physical wounds, Psychologically, he suffered from what would later be described as post-traumatic stress disorder. Kirill suffered from prolonged nightmares of the explosion, a sudden fear and avoidance of the ocean, which he used to love as a child, as well as survivor's guilt.
1: Because PTSD wasn't a formal diagnosis at the time, Kirill wasn't treated with medication or psychotherapy, two prominent ways to help manage the disorder. Instead, he was sent to Europe to recover.
2: And in the process of that recovery, he was able to focus his attention on the love of his life, Victoria Melita.
1: Meanwhile, the Russo-Japanese War raged on to massive unpopularity. The Japanese were crushing the Russians in battle after battle. It was clear that Tsar Nicholas had no idea how to wage a war, let alone win one. To
2: make matters worse, Russia had become increasingly industrialized thanks to economic reforms by Nicholas's ministers. Workers experienced massive exploitation, toiling up to 12 hours a day for little pay and in dangerous conditions. As many of these urban workers learned to read, they turned towards the socialist words of Marx and Engels for guidance.
1: Tensions among the working class finally reached a breaking point in December 1904 when four workers at the Pudilov Iron Works were fired. The head of the assembly of Russian workers, Father Georgi Gapon, demanded they be reinstated. He also made demands for increased wages, eight-hour workdays, and an end to the war. When those demands were not met, he called for a mass strike. On January 22nd, 1905, Father Gapon led thousands of protesters to the Winter Palace. The enormous crowd sang, God Save the Tsar, as they marched to deliver their petition.
2: When the protesters arrived at the Winter Palace, they were confronted by the Imperial Guards and ordered to halt. The protesters ignored the order and kept marching, and then shots rang out.
1: As the lawn of the Winter Palace descended into madness, the Imperial Guards drew their sabers and began cutting down the fleeing protesters. When the so-called Bloody Sunday Massacre ended, over a thousand protesters were dead. And even though Tsar Nicholas wasn't at the palace during the killing, the increasingly unfavorable reputation of the Romanovs took another major hit. In
2: response to the massacre, waves of protest and civil unrest swept through Russia. Unlike the Hodinska tragedy, the Romanovs couldn't ignore this one. For the next several months, men and women all across the empire participated in mass labor strikes, demanding an end to Romanov tyranny. The revolution of 1905 had begun.
1: Throughout the rest of the year, Nicholas discovered he was unable to deal with both the war in Japan and the protesters in Russia. With loss after loss against the Japanese, it became painfully obvious that it was time to accept defeat. In September 1905, with the help of President Theodore Roosevelt, a peace treaty was signed. The Russo-Japanese War was finally over.
2: But the war had been over for Kirill Vladimirovich for over a year. He was still recovering in Germany when the treaty was signed. Living 1,200 miles from St. Petersburg, the revolution of 1905 was of little concern to him. All he cared about was legitimizing his relationship with Victoria. With the Russo-Japanese war over, Kirill hoped that his cousin, the Tsar, would consent to the marriage.
1: Nicholas still refused to give them permission to wed. However, Kirill and Victoria decided to get married anyway. On October 8th, 1905, the two lovebirds, both 28 years old, tied the knot in a small ceremony outside of Munich. Only two Romanovs were at the wedding, Victoria's mother and Kirill's uncle.
2: When word got back to Nicholas, the Tsar was furious. It was bad enough that the peasants were causing trouble, but now his family was openly defying him as well. And while quieting the Revolution of 1905 was a complicated task, at least he could take direct action against Kirill's little rebellion.
1: A few weeks after the marriage, Tsar Nicholas stripped Kirill of his naval rank, took away his income, and banished him from Russia. The news devastated Boris and Andre, as well as their parents. And though their father begged his nephew, the Tsar, to change his mind, Nicholas refused to reverse course.
2: Kirill accepted the punishment. He knew the risk he was taking by marrying Victoria without the Tsar's consent, but he didn't care. He was in love. With Victoria at his side, he didn't care that he was now living in exile. But the question on every Romanov's mind was, for
1: how long? Coming up, turmoil continues to rock Russia and the Romanov's struggle to maintain power.
0: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be.
2: The workers of Russia were tired of the exploitation they faced in the factories, as well as the unnecessary and disastrous war with Japan. Wave after wave of mass protests and strikes flooded the streets of St. Petersburg. Amongst this turmoil, scandal had struck the Romanov family. 28-year-old Grand Duke Kirill Vladimirovich married his first cousin, Princess Victoria Melita, without the Tsar's consent. As punishment, the two were forced into exile.
1: With Kirill banished from Russia and the war with Japan over, Nicholas turned his attention to the violent mass protests. At the behest of one of his ministers, Nicholas delivered the October Manifesto.
2: The October Manifesto established the Duma, an elected legislative body that was intended to give more power to the people. However, at its inception, it was weak. Even though he claimed that no new law could go into effect without the Duma's approval, Nicholas was given the power to veto any bills he wished.
1: While liberals rejoiced, the Marxists did not. For them, this largely symbolic step was nowhere near enough. And for men like Vladimir Lenin and Leon Trotsky, they were determined to one day overthrow the Romanov autocracy. For Kirill, who was supposed to be reeling in squalor as an exile in Europe, this period of his life was the happiest he'd ever been. With the financial help of his parents, Kirill's burgeoning family was able to travel around Europe on permanent vacation.
2: But after two years of exile, tragic circumstances paved the road for Kirill's return home. On February 17, 1909, Grand Duke Vladimir Alexandrovich died. The tragic death of the Vladimiroviches' father was enough to push Nicholas into forgiveness. Kirill was allowed to come home and be with his family. Nicholas even recognized Kirill and Victoria's marriage and made Victoria a Grand Duchess. After years of turmoil, the Romanov family was finally seeing some stability.
1: In May 1909, Kirill was named second in command of the naval cruiser Oleg. A year later, he was promoted to captain, but while Kirill dove headfirst in his new military assignment, his brothers were less dedicated to their royal duties. Though Andrei traveled on various diplomatic assignments, his attention was more on his not-so-secret affair with famed ballerina Matilda Szczeska, And Boris spent most of his time throwing extravagant parties at his dacha, a seasonal cottage. But for the imperial family, an outsider had managed to invade the family circle, and it would have dire consequences.
2: As early as autumn 1908, a mysterious charismatic monk named Grigori Rasputin had earned the favor of the Tsar and Tsarina, Their son Alexei suffered from hemophilia, a condition they kept secret from others. When Alexei's condition seemed to get worse, they turned to Rasputin, who claimed to have faith-healing powers. It's still unclear exactly what Rasputin did to heal Alexei, but it was enough to gain the trust of Nicholas and Alexandra, so much so that in the years that followed, Rasputin became a fixture at court.
1: Rasputin's time at court was rife with scandal. He was consistently drunk, accepted bribes in exchange for political favors, and exercised undue influence over Nicholas and Alexandra. Rumors even went around that Rasputin and the Tsarina were secret lovers, something Rasputin didn't deny.
2: For the first few years, the Romanov family was able to contain what little the public knew about Rasputin. They tried to quietly pry the Tsar away from Rasputin's influence, but Nicholas remained loyal to the mad monk.
1: But thanks to the abolition of censorship laws in 1906, the press was able to sniff out what the family had tried so hard to keep secret. Word of Rasputin's influence made public opinion of Nicholas and Alexandra's plummet.
2: Luckily for Nicholas, he had a chance to distract from the damage with the upcoming Romanov Tercentenary.
1: Beginning in February 1913, the Tercentenary was a nationwide celebration of 300 years of Romanov rule. It was filled with blatant propaganda as an attempt to turn the public opinion in the royal's favor.
2: The propaganda worked. Scores of men, women, and children showed their love for Nicholas as he and the royal family toured the area of Russia known as Muscovy, the land symbolizing the beginning of the Romanov dynasty. As Kirill would later write, Russia and the Romanovs are inseparable. They are linked together in one destiny.
1: In the summer of 1914, Kirill and his family spent their time cruising around Europe. Kirill had come to enjoy driving cars, and with the tercentenary finished, he was able to take his family on an auto rally through the Baltic countryside. And on August 1st, the final day of his journey, Kirill heard the news. Russia was at war with Germany.
2: After the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand and Duchess Sophie in June, all of Europe was on edge peace negotiations failed and war descended across Europe. It was Russia, England, and France on one side and Germany and Austria-Hungary on the other.
1: Kirill, Boris, and Andrei knew they had a duty and immediately answered the call to arms.
2: But the Vladimirovichy's service in the Russian army during World War I was more decorative than anything. Unable to serve in the Imperial Navy, Kirill joined the general staff of the Imperial Guard as commander of the Naval Guard. Boris and Andrei were nominally given command of their own regiments, but they were more or less confined to desk duty. None of them saw
1: battle on the front lines. In fact, Boris lived his life the same way he did before the war. While Russians died by the thousands along the Eastern Front, He was throwing extravagant parties and dinners in the countryside.
2: It was during one of these galas in June 1916 when Boris managed to get himself into hot water with the British. Not only was Boris useless on the battlefield, but he was unable to show tact with his country's own allies. During a dinner with British officers, Boris got drunk and accused the British of doing nothing in Verdun while the French were getting massacred. He even went so far as to threaten, you can't be certain that the moment peace is signed with Germany, we shall go to war with you. Of course, it was easy for Boris to make drunken threats. He knew very well that he would not have to see a single minute of combat if Russia did go to war with Britain. But he was willing to put his people at risk in the name of acting tough at a dinner party.
1: Boris's insubordination got back to Tsar Nicholas, as well as General Sir Alfred Knox, the commander of British forces in Russia. Boris was forced to apologize. Though they accepted his apology, they would not forget the insult.
2: Since Tsar Nicholas had command of the entire Russian army, The empire's day-to-day operations were now under the control of Tsarina Alexandra and, unofficially, Grigori Rasputin. The results were disastrous.
1: Domestic policy, including the hiring and firing of government ministers, was done by the Tsarina with Rasputin's influence. There was a rising food shortage for both the citizens and the soldiers, which the dynamic duo was not able to handle. And as the war raged on, rumors began to circulate that the German-born Alexandra was a secret spy for the enemy.
2: By now, it had been 10 years since Rasputin arrived at court. Many in the Romanov family were tired of his insidious presence. In their eyes, if both Rasputin and Alexandra were out of power, then the rest of the Romanov's reputations would surely be repaired.
1: On December 30th, 1916, Grigory Rasputin was brutally murdered by members of the Russian aristocracy. Two of the conspirators were Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich and Prince Felix Yusupov.
0: The
2: Vladimirovici weren't involved in the plot. However, they were far from sad to hear the news of Rasputin's demise. In fact, after Grand Duke Dmitri was banished to Persia, the Vladimirovici made it clear to the Tsar that they supported Dmitri's actions. The three brothers were among those who sent a petition to the Tsar asking for Dmitri's exile to end.
1: Nicholas responded by condemning the murder and severing ties with the petitioners, including the Vladimirovici.
2: Meanwhile, the response among the people is said to have been somewhat mixed. Some believe that Rasputin's murder was an example of the nobility's continued oppression of the poor, since the influential monk was a Serbian peasant before coming to court. Others, however, hailed the conspirators as heroes.
1: With Rasputin now dead, there was hope that Nicholas could get Russia back on its feet, both in the war and at home. But less than a month later, it became obvious that was not going to happen. Tension in the streets over food shortages and public outcry against the war continued to grow, and Nicholas seemed unable to grasp the severity of the situation. Many Romanovs knew that a change was needed if the family was going to survive.
2: The Vladimirovici were more than happy to lead that
1: charge. Coming up, revolution sweeps through Russia and Kirill is left with a life-changing decision.
2: Now back to the story.
1: At the end of 1916, members of the Romanov extended family murdered Grigory Rasputin. After years of influencing the Tsar and his wife, the mad monk was no more. The family hoped that his death would help repair the tarnished Romanov name. It didn't.
2: Not long after Rasputin's death, the Vladimirovichi, as well as other Romanovs, realized the removal of the monk wasn't enough. Russian men were being slaughtered by the thousands. Since taking the role of commander-in-chief, Tsar Nicholas had done nothing to stem the tide. It was clear that he had learned nothing since the Russo-Japanese War a decade earlier.
1: Even among the ranks of the Russian army, morale was low and mutiny was rampant. When the Vladimirovichi read battle reports, they knew a change was needed. If the Romanovs were to survive a public uprising, the Tsar had to go. The
2: plot they hatched was to install Nicholas's son, Alexei, on the throne. Because Alexei was only 12, they would have the widely respected Grand Duke Nicholas Nikolaevich act as regent until Alexei came of
1: age. However, when Grand Duke Nicholas was approached, he didn't believe that the people of Russia, nor the armies required for a coup, would support them. It seemed as though the plot was over before it had even begun.
2: But the Vladimirovici quickly came up with a new plan. This one involved bringing Grand Duke Dmitri out of exile from Persia and having him marry the Tsar's oldest daughter Olga. Once married to the daughter of the current emperor, Grand Duke Dmitri was to proclaim himself heir apparent.
1: However, as the Vladimirovici and other Romanov grand dukes plotted, Word of their treasonous actions reached Tsar Nicholas's ears. He knew he needed to act fast to secure his throne. That meant the Vladimirovichy had to go. In the middle
2: of January 1917, Nicholas sent Kirill to naval bases along the Arctic Circle. He was to inspect Russia's forces there and give the sailors morale-boosting speeches.
1: Andre and his mother, Grand Duchess Marie, were sent to Kitslovsk in the Caucasus region. Once they were 1,400 miles away from the capital, Nicholas knew that Andre and his mother would have little to no influence in the court.
2: Meanwhile, Boris was allowed to stay behind in Petrograd. He was considered to be nothing more than a useless drunk. Nicholas laughed off any possibility that he was a threat.
1: At the beginning of February 1917, Tsar Nicholas was feeling comfortable with the family mischief makers subdued. He was finally able to refocus his attention on the war against Germany, but what he failed to realize was that his problem was much bigger than his meddlesome cousins. Not only was the war effort a disaster, but the consequences were having a severe effect on day-to-day Russian life. Because of blockades set up by Germany and the Ottoman Empire, the Russian people were left with little fuel, and even worse, little food. In order
2: to survive, people began to use fake foods as sustenance. They were forced to purchase items like butter made with lard or sausage with fake meat. But as the war progressed, even these methods became unsustainable. Soon, massive bread lines formed along the streets, and food riots broke out. Unlike surviving palace intrigue, this was a matter of life and death.
1: By the beginning of 1917, the revolutionary spirit of 1905 was back in the air. At the beginning of March, Putilov metal workers, the same factory that incited the revolution of 1905, went on strike. They demanded a 50 cent raise in wages. Completely ignoring the problems at one of Russia's largest metal factories, Nicholas left the capital on March 7th to go to military headquarters in Megalev, But in ignoring the problem, he only added fuel to the revolutionary fire.
2: On March 8th, International Women's Day, the people of Petrograd received some unexpected good news. The weather was going to be warm. Thousands flocked the streets of St. Petersburg to praise the role of women in society while also using the day to demand equal rights. But in the course of morning speeches and general celebrations, the attitude among the thousands of protesters changed. The speeches turned radical, and complaints of food shortages and the abysmal war reached a fever pitch.
1: By the afternoon, roughly 90,000 women and men were marching through the streets, demanding bread. The call for bread turned into chants for an end to the war and the downfall of Nicholas.
2: The next day, the number of protesters grew to 200,000. The day after that, 500,000. The city of Petrograd had completely shut down.
1: When the Tsar learned of the civil unrest, he ordered police officers and soldiers to open fire on the protesters. And though the police followed the orders, many of the soldiers did not.
2: Disillusioned with the war and the Tsar, they realized enough was enough. When protesters broke into the barracks of an Imperial Guard regiment, the soldiers didn't attack them. Rather, they joined the revolt.
1: As the days passed and the chaos didn't end, State Duma Chairman Mikhail Rodzianko telegrammed Nicholas several times for help. He described the events in the city and pleaded for Nicholas to make reforms, but Nicholas ignored him.
2: Since the Tsar wasn't going to take the growing revolution seriously, Rodzianko and the rest of the Duma decided to take matters into their own hands. They established a provisional committee as a way to broker peace.
1: Finally, on March 13th, Nicholas left his military headquarters in Megalov to return to Petrograd. He believed that his mere presence in the city would be enough to quell the protesters and bring back order.
2: However, the provisional government feared that if Nicholas were to see his wife, she would convince him not to make reforms or compromises. So they rerouted his train to Skuv, about 200 miles south of Petrograd. When he got to Skuv, he was met by several advisors who urged him to give power over to the Duma. Nicholas refused. But as the hours progressed, even he could see that his reign was over. Neither the people of Russia nor the government wanted him as Tsar.
1: On March 15, 1917, Tsar Nicholas II abdicated the throne. He nominated his brother, Grand Duke Mikhail Alexandrovich, to take his place.
2: That same day, the state Duma quickly put together a provisional government— comprised of conservatives, liberals, and socialists. The monarchy in Russia was over.
1: For Kirill, news of the revolution brought with it a sudden and life-altering decision to be made. He had to choose a side, his cousin Nicholas, or the Russian people. As part of the general staff, he was still naval guard, meaning he had soldiers under his command. At his word, they could either resist this new provisional government or bend the knee.
2: Kirill weighed the options, but it became clear to him that there was only one way he could avoid bloodshed. On the same day his cousin abdicated the throne, Kirill Vladimirovich, wearing the red color of revolution, marched to Toride Palace and swore an oath to the new government.
1: He told Duma chairman Rodzienko... This morning, I assembled my men and explained to them the significance of present events. And I can now say the whole Naval Guard Corps is at the entire disposal of the Imperial Duma.
2: His decision was met with thunderous applause by the members of the new government. But within the royal family, Kirill was considered a traitor. Many would never forgive him for choosing the mob over family.
1: But in reality, Kirill was thinking of his family. He had two little girls, and his wife Victoria was pregnant with their third. He knew that the events unfolding in Petrograd were nothing like the failed revolution of 1905. The fact that Nicholas gave up the throne proved as much. For his support, the Duma allowed Kirill and his family to live in peace as the rest of Russia continued its descent into chaos. On March 16th, the day after he abdicated, Nicholas went back to Megalev to address the Russian army one final time. Boris Vladimirovich went with him. Even though the relationship between the Vladimirovichy and the Tsar had deteriorated, it was still emotional for Boris to see his cousin look so defeated.
2: In Kislovodsk, Andrei and his mother finally got word of the abdication on March 17th. At the same time, they learned that Grand Duke Mikhail had also declined to take the throne. The Romanov dynasty was over.
1: Andrei wrote in his diary that All the former grandeur of imperial Russia has collapsed in a single day. It was as if a bolt of lightning had set the royal world on fire.
2: A few days after learning of the abdication, Andrei went to seek help from Grand Duke Nicholas Nikolaevich in Tiflis, 300 miles from Kislovodsk. Still wildly popular, even as a Romanov, many within the family believed that if anyone could stop the revolution, it was him.
1: But Grand Duke Nicholas wasn't interested. He ordered Andrei to return to his mother and watch over her. Accepting the order, Andrei boarded a train and returned to Kislovodsk.
2: Along the way back, Andre's train was suddenly stopped. Revolutionaries stormed inside and went from cabin to cabin, demanding that people swear oaths of loyalty to the provisional government.
1: Andre stared down the barrel of a pistol as they waited for his response. If he said no, he would maintain his family's honor. But if he said yes, he would live. The thought of his mother hearing that he was murdered quickly made his decision for him.
2: On March 26th, Andre pledged his loyalty to the provisional government.
1: Two days later, while Boris was drinking in his dacha, members of the provisional government stormed in and placed him under arrest. Compromising letters between him and his mother had been discovered. The contents revealed their faith in Grand Duke Nicholas restoring stability.
2: The government felt the letters were pro-Romanov. Both Boris and his mother, 1,400 miles apart, were placed under house arrest.
1: The rest of spring brought immense change in Russia, but a division among the outspoken socialist ranks made the road to establishing a new permanent government more challenging than many anticipated.
2: In April, Vladimir Lenin returned to Russia from exile and learned that his radical Bolsheviks had toned down some of their rhetoric. Believing that this could not stand, he published his April Theses. This work called for all Bolsheviks to openly defy the provisional government and establish more communist policies.
1: Though it would take some time to fully have the effect Lenin had intended, it became all too obvious that the spirit of revolution wasn't over.
2: Invigorated by Lenin's leadership, the Bolsheviks still had fight in them.
1: As the Bolsheviks ramped up their revolutionary activities, Kirill began to worry about his family's safety, especially with Victoria close to giving birth to their third child. Compared to the rest of his family, Kirill had been treated with respect amongst the revolutionaries. But should things get worse, Russia was no place for childbirth.
2: He received an invitation from a friend to come to Borga, Finland, until the excitement settled. Kirill seriously considered it. A former Russian province, Finland was in the midst of declaring its independence from Russia. Kirill could be close to his home without actually being in it. However, it also meant leaving the rest of the Romanovs behind.
1: Communication amongst the family by this point had all but collapsed. No Romanov knew exactly what the others were doing. Plus, many were still angry with Kirill for siding with the provisional government three months earlier. The choice for Kirill became obvious. It was time to get out of Russia. The
2: legend of Kirill's escape is that he, the very pregnant Victoria, and their two daughters trekked through the snow, dangerously crossed the frozen Gulf of Finland, and made their way out of Russia.
1: In reality, the family boarded a train out of Petrograd and peacefully crossed into Finland, a little over 100 miles north. But Kirill's escape from Russia was more prophetic than exciting he had the foresight to see that revolution in Russia was far from over.
2: As the train cut through the Russian countryside heading north, one can't help but wonder what was racing through his mind. Did he know that he would never set foot in Russia again or speak to some members of his family?
1: Because as revolution turned to civil war, Romanovs would be dying one by one.
2: Thanks for listening to Survival. Next week, we'll conclude the harrowing tale of the Vladimirovichi as Boris and Andrei attempt to flee Russia themselves.
1: You can find all episodes of Survival and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify.
2: Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Survival for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
1: To stream Survival on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Survival in the search bar.
2: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time.
1: Survival was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Joel Stein and Travis Clark. This episode of Survival was written by Joe Guerra and stars Irma Blanco and Tim Johnson.